This is the end of side one of this cassette. At this point, please turn the cassette over for side two. And that problem, you need to know that. That is not your whole world. Your whole world is not crumbling right now because God is not a God of crumbling and he's not a God of limitation. Some of you are being uh, seized by demons. You're, you're, I, mean, I mean, literally, you're in spiritual warfare. And you think, boy, I can't cope with these things. You know what? You read, you read Revelation 12, and you'll learn that there are such things. But you'll also learn that when, when Satan was swept out of heaven, that a third of the angels went to be demons. You know what that means statistically? For every demon, there's two angels. For every demon, there's two angels. We are not outnumbered by a long shot. For every problem, there are solutions. And so the Holy Spirit would come to us and say, you know what, I want you to have godly wisdom. I want you to have more than just the problem of the age. I want you to have more than just a view toward what is bugging you right now or what you think is important right now. I want you to have the wide view. It makes such a difference. It makes such a difference in our understanding. Think of just a few, a couple of the statistics you've heard uh, recently, and, and it seems like such a big deal. For example, this is, this is just you know, grabbing one that has seeming, is seemingly unrelated, but I want you to see what a difference having the proper context can have. A month ago, or approximately a month ago, uh, Congress passed the minimum wage from, I don't know, 465 or something like that to 525. And, and many people were aghast at that. They thought, what a huge jump that is. And, and, and small business, everybody's griping, oh, it's going to put the small businessman out of, out of business and all that kind of stuff, you know? Think about this for a minute. In 1996 dollars, the minimum wage in 1969 was $6.61. Let me say that again. In 1996 dollars, in terms of our economy, the minimum wage was $6.61. And we're afraid of raising it to $5.25. I mean, we got a buck 30 to go before we even reached the level we were 30 years ago. You see what a difference a context makes? I hear Christians run around uh, all alarmed that the country's falling apart, and it is. But uh, all alarmed, but, but, but only in details. Now watch. I hear Christians say the divorce rate in this country is 50%. You know where we got that figure? Some years ago, and I can almost remember the year. I can't name it for you, but I, I can almost remember the year. Some years ago, somebody took, at the, took a look at how many people were getting married in a, in a given year. That was 2.4 million people. And then how many people got divorced in that same year? It was 1.2 million people. That's 50%. And so they said the divorce rate in this country is 50%. And Christians have been quoting that ever since. One out of every two marriages will end in divorce. No, it won't. What they failed to take into consideration was at the time, there were already 54 million marriages. The divorce rate is not 50%. In any given year, it's about 2%. Now, that's horrible, but in, put into the proper context, it's not quite so alarming. 
One in two marriages won't end in divorce. It's, it's the, the, the more realistic statistics are maybe one in eight. It's horrible, but it's not quite so alarming. You see, if you, if you, if you concentrate just on the problem and not on the context, you miss a great deal. And so it's very important that we understand that God wants us to consider both the larger picture beyond the problem and both how that fits into now and how that fits into later. Now, the problem with most Christians is they just want, they want to concentrate on now or later. You know? I mean, I, I love the fact that Bob Dole said this week, look, it's not just the economy. It's bugged me for about three years. People keep saying, it's the economy, stupid. No, no, the central fact of life is not how the economy is going. It's much larger than that. But neither can Christians do as they, as they have for years and just focus on heaven. You know, it scares me when we, when we talk about turn your eyes on Jesus and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. I don't want them to grow strangely dim. I, you know, God is just as competent in this world as he is in the next. We need to see both. We need to see both. Turn with me just for a second to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I want you to see how spiritual wisdom has its eye on both. On both. Paul to the church at Colossia. It says, for this Reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, now we're talking about spiritual wisdom here. Look at the very next verse where that should be applied. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, when the Holy Spirit gives you wisdom, it's both for today and for forever. That's the perspective. It's not just for today. It's also for forever. You know, the older I get, the more my body continues to fall apart. And I noticed when I got past 40, which was a good time ago, my eyes started, you know, I'd always never had any trouble seeing, and now, you know, I go out driving, can't read the street signs and all that kind of stuff. So I got glasses, you know, progress to bifocals, you know. But glasses bug me. I like to, I, I'm, I'm way too, I, you know, I sweat too much, I guess. I don't know, they keep sliding off or something. But, but I, but I, so I, I went to, even though I hate to have stuff in my eyes, I went to get contacts. So I go to this, this uh, uh, optometrist, and she, she says, you know what, I think we can get away with just putting one contact in this eye, and then this eye will be the eye that you read things close up, and this eye that is the eye you can see things far away. <laughs> and, and I said, well, that kind of scares me a little bit there. She says, no, no, your brain will automatically adjust to that. Well, after a month of running into stuff, you know, <clears throat> I'm starting to get the hang of it, you know. Because the brain does say, okay, if you want to see the clock, you've got to look out of this eye. If you want to read something, you've got to look out of this eye. Because for complete vision, you've got to have the ability to do both. Well, I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit does the same thing in your life. He teaches you which is close up and which is far away, but he never limits you to one or the other. He gives you the larger perspective. And so when you ask the Holy Spirit to come in your life, say, Lord, put this into a 
eternal context for me. Don't let me be so intimidated right now that I think this is all over. And don't let me try to escape of it, escape from it so frantically that I don't want to face it. Put it into eternal context. Now let me show you the next part of wisdom. Look at the next, look at the next verses here. Because before we were talking about wisdom itself, now we start talking about the personal side. He switches from God's wisdom as the theme to its effect on people. It says in verse 11, for who, not what, who, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Do you read those words? We have received the spirit who is from God. Who's he writing to? All Christians. All Christians. Let me assure you of something. You may not have the fullness of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in you, and he may just be resident and not president yet. But if you've got Jesus Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit. You can't say, Christ, come into my life, Holy Spirit, you stay out. If God is one and God is in your heart, all of God is in your heart. You understand? And so you have received the Holy Spirit. There may be a subsequent experience that you have. But let's be accurate theologically. It says, we have received the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak. Now watch. Anytime you're blessed, it's always, there's always a so that. You aren't blessed just to be blessed. Oh, I just want to bless you real good just because I love you. It's always to share. Blessings are always to share. It says <clears throat> that we might know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak. And so there is a human relationship dynamic here. It's talking about something that has happened to us that we can share. Now look, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. I, I, I like the equally valid Greek interpretation that says this. Interpreting spiritual things to spiritual men. Because this is a personal part of this passage. And then it says, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The, the word in Greek is uh, 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 anakrino. It means, it means examined or investigated. Now, I'm going to use that in just a minute, but I want, I want you to see the personal side of this. How do you know the Holy Spirit's operating in your life? Because issues are not just seen as issues. You begin to attach them to people. You begin to understand that this is not just a matter of settling a problem, that there are people involved, and you have a compassion. And you want it solved for the sake of people, not for the sake of results, not for the sake of, 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 of solutions, but for the sake of people. You see, God is love, and God cares about people. It's very important to understand when we're talking about something like the minimum wage, we're not just talking about what it should be in order to make the economy the healthiest. We're talking about people, what people need. 
Some of the un... Do, you understand, when we talk about this, we're talking about encouraging some of the unsung heroes of our society. Because these are people who are very close, very borderline, just to say, well, I'll just live off whatever I can get from the government. You know, if that's all I'm going to get. But the people who are in the, the, the minimum wage range are the ones that are going out there and working. They're the, ones that are, they're the ones that are saying, no, I'm going to be that single mom that goes out and supports my kids even though there's not much there. I want to work. I want to do something. I want to contribute. It amazes me that we would not do everything we could to encourage those people. Those are the ones we need. When you go, let me ask you something. When you go out to eat, do you understand the ministry of tipping? <laughs> do you? I know a lot of Christians that understand the ministry of tithing. I don't know very many people that understand the ministry of tipping. Do you understand that, that Christians are the givers? They're, they're the one. I, it, it abhors me. One time I walked in the, I was walking through the church and, and, and somebody was ordering pizza for a group in the church and, and they said, hey, we're a church group. Can we get a discount? I was mortified. I was mortified. No, we're the givers. You don't understand. We're the givers. We're the, ones, we're the ones who support. We're the ones who encourage. We don't try to get breaks. We don't try to get bargains. When, when Christians go out, if, if, especially if they know you're a Christian, you ought to, you ought to tip big time. I'm, I'm talking about, well, I'll give 10% maybe. Maybe 15 if she's really good, you know. Come on. This is, this is one of the heroes of society. She's out there depending on those tips. We ought to, be, we ought to tip. I, I, somebody told me that they, they know Christians that will go out instead of leaving money, they'll leave a track. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Boy, you, oh, my goodness. Leave a track with a 50 if you're at it, okay? Let's, let's, talk, about, let's talk about what's going to support people, encourage people. Yeah. They need eternal life, but we're talking, about, we're talking about a ministry of encouragement. You see, God doesn't say, oh, what, I wonder what the minimum wage should be. God says, how can you love people? How can you love people? How can you give what you've gotten as a blessing for them? How can you take it into yourself and give it out? That's the important. You've been given so that you can speak. You can share. There was a pastor in a West Coast church, his name was Paul Cook, who went to the um, uh, New Guinea, went to New Guinea, Papua New Guinea, and visited a missionary there who his church supported. <clears throat> and this missionary lived in some of the most poverty-stricken areas of that country. <clears throat> and uh, so the, the missionary took this pastor up to this place where they could oversee the gardens. You see, the only way these people could live, the only way they could survive was to, to do a little garden and do a little hunting. And, and, and it, was, it was scarce. It was scarce. And there had only been a small portion of the village that had chosen to follow Jesus Christ as their Savior. And you can imagine what their prayer life, you know, in your dire need, boy, you're, you're on your knees, man. That's just... <clears throat> so... The missionary took the pastor up and says, uh, can you pick out, you see the gardens down there, can you pick out the Christians' gardens? And he looked down, and sure enough, he saw several of those gardens that were very evidently more fruitful. 
And he said, is that one right there? He said, yep, that's one. Is that one over there? Yep, that's one over there. Is that one over there? Yep, that's one over there. He said, this, that's incredible. He said, how are you doing that? He said, all of the Christians pray over their gardens. All of the Christians pray over their gardens. And Pastor Cook said, well, I can sure see why. And the missionary looked at him and said, no, you can't. He said, what do you mean, no, I can't? I can see why. Look at the fruitfulness. You pray for fruitfulness. He said, no, we don't. He said, we pray so that we can have the fruit in order to give to those who can't yet pray. That's why we pray. You understand the difference? You don't pray for fruit. You pray for something to share. You pray for something to give. That's the perspective of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't care about results unless they're loving somebody. Unless they're doing somebody some good in the name of Christ. You understand? So the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, don't just look at the problems. Think of the people. Think of the people. Because God is love. And then, lastly, it says this. It starts to tell the difference. It starts to say, I not only want you to think of the people, I want you to be able to understand where people are spiritually. You see, there's a spectrum to maturity. We start out with a natural man. And the, and the Bible's saying, he can't understand. Now, I want you to understand the spirit of this. Paul is not angry and frustrated at a natural man who can't understand. Do you, do you get mad... <clears throat> Let me get, put this in a personal term. And, I, and pl please, I'm not, I'm not comparing people with animals, but just, just go with me for a second here. We've got this little dog, Shelby the Wonder Dog. And, and Shelby's usually very nice, wonderful dog, rolls over when you come into the room, you know, totally submissive, pat my stomach, so on and so forth. Would, wouldn't hurt a flea. But every once in a while, she gets a hold of something in her mouth she ought not to have. And so I try to get it out. You know what happens when I try and get it out? I mean, she comes, goes like this on my hand with her little mouth, you know, doesn't break any skin or anything, but very, as fierce as a little thing can be, you know? And I look at her and I say, Shelby, dog. And she goes. <clears throat> now, do you think she'll ever repent of that behavior? Huh? Because when I reach in her mouth, there's something instinctual that just takes her, get off my food. You know, this is mine. You know, there's something just, I don't blame her for biting at me. I don't think she's a bad dog. She's got diminished capacity. <laughs> now, let me ask you something. How many non-Christians do you get mad at every day? Because they're being booger heads. <laughs> how, how many? Why? Why are you mad at them? That's their nature. Why should you get mad? That's the natural man. You know, you understand, Jesus never got mad at sinners. He got sad. He got sad. He wept. He wept over Jerusalem. He said, how many times would I, would I have taken you under my wings, but you would not? He never got mad because he understood they were operating with diminished capacity. How many of you people go past these girly joints, you just want to go in and set fire? You know? Listen, don't get mad at those people. It is pitiful. Those people who go in this are pitiful. Get sad. Pray for them. 
But understand, they're operating with diminished capacity. That's natural man. They're just following their appetites. They'll never do anything else. That's all they can do. And then there's Christians. Now, you want to get mad. You know, the only time Jesus ever got mad with people, with, was with people who ought to know better. You know, when he went down through that temple, those were supposed to be the religious people of the day. And he was furious with them. When he, when he squared off with the Pharisees, he was furious with those people. Why? Because they ought to know better. They ought to know better. He had this righteous indignation. And so there's this spectrum we need to understand. And we need to understand in the next chapter, Paul goes into this carnal Christian stuff where he said there's babes in Christ who have, who have converted to Christ and they have all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but they still have the mentality of a natural man. They haven't transferred that yet. How many of those Christians do you know? I mean, there's tons of those Christians around. I was talking to a uh, um, pastor the other day, just this week, <clears throat> and he said at the, end, at the close of his sermon... Last week, the pianist in the, in the church, it's just a little church, slammed down the thing and stomped out, made a big scene, because he had had the gall to preach for 30 minutes. And she thought a sermon ought to be 15 or 20 minutes and made this huge scene. He said the irony of this thing was he had a pagan friend sitting in that congregation who came up to him afterwards and said, man, I love that. I wish, you'd have, I wish you'd have gone on. I wasn't ready to quit yet. Now, what's wrong with this picture? There's a pagan wanting more, and there's a supposed Christian who said, you preached too long. I tell you what's wrong with it. In the first place, if you can't listen to a message from the gospel for 30, 40, an hour a week, there's something wrong. I'm telling you this just in case I get wound up one day. There's something wrong. I mean, 15 or 20 minutes, you've got a sermonette. You haven't got a sermon. And sermonettes are for Christianettes. You probably ought to find yourself a churchette somewhere. No, we ought to be ready to go. See, we ought to be ready to take all there is till, till we get done with the thing. But the other thing was, the Holy Spirit was working in this pagan's life. And he was quenched in this Christian's life. You see, there was a developmental problem. She was developmentally challenged at that point in her life. So you've got to understand that about Christians. And you've got to react like that. I remember one of the first <laughs> dates that Becky and I ever had. This is 25 years ago before we got married. And uh, we were just taking a walk in her neighborhood. And she lived in Greenfield, Indiana, which at that time was a was a, a kind of a, a, a home base for the KKK. And I remember one night we were out walking and there were these people throwing hate literature in, in lawns, you know, and, and talking about a rally, you know, and had a big old flaming cross on this hate literature. Now these people claimed to be Christians. Boy, was I angry. And so we just, we just did the same thing. We followed them all night long. And whatever they threw down, we picked up. <laughs> all night long. All night long. We cleaned up that entire neighborhood, you know? Now, we probably could have gone to jail for that. We were ready to go. Why? Because here's some developmentally challenged people. I mean, they claim to be Christians. I'm not sure that they are. But if they are, if they are, 
they're still following the mentality of the natural man, and the natural man can't understand the bigger picture. He can't understand. And so Paul is saying, get sad here, but you've got to understand who you are. You're not that person. You've been given the Spirit of God. Turn with me just for one moment to 1 John chapter 2. Just as he wrote to an, just as Paul wrote to an entire church of Christians, so did John. This first John is to an entire, entire body of believers. And look at what he says, starting with verse 20. He says, But you have an anointing from the Holy One. But you have an anointing. You understand what he's saying? I, I know people who pray for the anointing. You've got it. You've got the anointing. If you've got the Holy Spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit's in you, if, if, if Christ is in you, you have the anointing. It says, and you all know. You already know. If you just don't quench the Spirit... There's going to be a manifestation of that spirit in your life. And it says, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth. The truth is residing in you. And here is the result of the Holy Spirit, that he will let you not only see the bigger picture, and not only see the people who are involved in that picture, but he will help you realize you have the mind of Christ if you'll just use the mind of Christ. It's there. And so he's pleading with us. He is saying, look, you've got the capacity to think like Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does for you. You've got this wisdom of the ages. You just need to say every day, Spirit, Come help me think like Christ. Come help me be compassionate like Christ. Come help me be the body of Christ here in the world. Pray with me. God, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have come and indwelt the lives of your people. Oh, God we do pray that you would come and fill us up, i.e., that you would come and help us realize more and more every day what you've already given us in Jesus Christ. You've given us the capacity to see the larger picture and the victory you have for us instead of just focusing upon our problems. You've given us the the capacity to see that we're not looking just for solutions, but for love and help of people. And you've given us, Lord God, the ability to see you in everything, to examine everything and find you there. Come, Holy Spirit, help us to see step by step as we live in this world and look forward to the next, the evidence of you and the power of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let me tell you, we have a prayer team, and those folks are going to be right down here on the right side of the sanctuary. If you'd like to pray about anything that God may have laid on your heart while you were here this morning, or anything you brought in here with you, they would love to pray with you. And just to remind you that what Joel said is so true, that if you've never trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation, then you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life either. And so if you'd like to receive this gift of salvation, to trust Jesus Christ for your salvation, we invite you to come and one of these prayer team members would love to pray with you about that and give you counsel on your first steps of following Christ. The Bible tells us that the evidence of the Holy Spirit being in our lives produces fruit. And Paul sums that up for us in Galatians 5. We use these words as our benediction. But the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Amen. Go in His peace.